to learn from thee. You're the only one who can manifest yourself to us. You're the only one who can reveal yourself to us. You're the only one who can really teach us. Would you do so this morning? And we'll give you praise and give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. The question, what is the purpose of the church? We're going through a time with church life that in one sense had never been witnessed in history. If you check history, the things that we're going through now has never been before, in a sense. And I think that's part of the problem of why we can't give an answer of how we're going to touch the lives of young people, minister to young people, how we're going to touch the hard-hearted, those who don't want to be involved, those who don't care. And we've somewhat done it to ourselves in some of our misteaching. There is no such thing as an invisible church. There's only a local church, whether that local church is in China, whether that local church is in Africa somewhere, whether that it's a it's a locality of where that church at that we may not be able to see. But there is no such thing as an invisible church. Secondly, we have this falsehood that I am the church. Scripture does not say that you are the church. It says you are the temple of God. The temple, and there's a big difference. Church is never described as a temple. Church itself is simply called out ones. Temple is a place where a God sits and people worship in that temple. But it's an identifiable place where God dwells or sits. A church, we say, oh, I can have church at home. No, you can't. You can worship at home. But we've taken worship and church and somehow combined them, and they're two separate words. Worship is my praise to God. Worship is my time with God alone, in a sense. And I can worship God any place, any time. I can worship him in my bathroom. I can worship him in my car. I can worship him in my office. I can worship him any place. But I can't have church any place, any time, without the other called out ones. It's that organization that God has put together and Jesus calls his church also the body, meaning more than one. So you can't have church at home all by yourself. Not even just with your family per se. But we've taught that in the sense that I'm the church and I have church at home. You can't have church at home. Who's your elders at home? Who are your shepherds at home? Who are the ones that watch over you at home? 
who are the ones that's really teaching you at home? And somebody will say, well, I had church this morning with Tony Evans over TV. You didn't have church. You listened, but you really didn't participate. Nor could you use your spiritual gifts in the presence of that church. And one of the reasons of church is that you use your spiritual gifts on one another. You're able to exercise it. So we've allowed a lot of terminology somehow to also break this thing down and and we're all confused about it, and our young people especially are confused about it. Um, somebody was asking me earlier in the week, uh, Pat, you know, uh, there's a young group of people who meet at 3 o'clock because they don't want to meet at the normal time of church time. They want to be different and so forth. So they meet at 3. They don't meet at 11 o'clock hour. And they don't have no Sunday school. And now we have some churches that are also... Uh, starting to meet on Saturday rather than on Sunday because they want to be different than the traditional church. And many of you have asked, how are we going to reach this younger generation? How are we going to help this younger generation fall in love with Jesus? How are we going to do that? And I've come to a conclusion we can't. It is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict. And scripture says, unless the Father draws them, they can't come. And God says he's the one who adds to his church, not man. He does it. And I think somewhere along historical lines, we have tried to act more like God than giving God the freedom to be God. If that makes sense. I've had pastors and I'm watching pastors. Just changing the furniture around in the church is not going to attract a younger generation. Taking stained glass windows out and covering windows and taking pews out and putting chairs in and Doing this and doing that and making it more modern look isn't going to do that. And I think sometimes we are, even in our own denomination of what happened at our council this past year, I think we're yielding more to culture than we are to the word. And as I told one pastor, you can change everything here in your facility. If the heart is not really changed and chasing after Jesus, it's all for nothing. If the heart is not changed and really seeking Jesus, I don't care what colors you paint, what chairs you put in, how much technology you use, is not going to work. Because the main purpose of people coming to church is to have a deeper realization of Jesus Christ and be taught of him. The church only has one purpose, to teach the word. To teach the word. Teach the word. And we can't do enough of it even as we see Christians from day to day. We can't do enough of that. 
Because Christians somehow organize in their own mind, this is what I am, and they make their own religious rules and codes more so than adhering to what the Word of God says. And that is my fault, every person's fault that calls himself a pastor or preacher or teacher. That's our fault. When you are asked, what is church? How do you explain it? How do you explain the purpose of the church? What would you say if somebody were to ask you? Well, it's a place where Christians meet. And that's how a lot of people see it. It's just a place where Christians go. And they gather there. It's a place where people go and pray and worship. It's a place where people who believe in Jesus gather. And all those statements are true. But they're not the main purpose. Not the main purpose. All correct, but still miss the mark in a sense. Now, what kind of church do you want to belong to? Because we have all kinds of churches today. We have the conservative. The conservatives are just a little different than the ones who would dance all around the church and speak in tongues and do this, jump up and down and run all over the place and just come up with some wild stuff sometimes, we think. They're a little bit more conserved and honoring, as they say, unto the Lord. Then we have the liberal church. What's the liberal church? That really don't believe the Bible. Some of the Bible's true, but not all of it. So they have the privilege of picking and choosing what they really want to believe. Now, a lot of Christians are that way, too, and they don't even belong to a liberal church. They pick and choose what they want to believe. And therefore, they conduct their lives on their rules rather than God's rules. Then there's the evangelical, the dogmatic, the fundamentalist. They're more strict. They're right to the word of God. And, and yet at the time they stumble, they fall. And they have difficulties even helping each other and understanding that there's going to be times that uh, we're going to fall, we're going to slip. And as Charles Swindoll says, evangelical Christians are the only ones who shoot their wounded. Then there's what we call the mainline church, those main denominations. Boy, we can talk about them, we can shoot them down, we can be very critical of them. But for centuries, for hundreds of years, they have maintained the line. Mainline churches. Then there's big churches and small churches. A lot of big churches, they may not look like they're in trouble. They're in trouble. I like the way Newt Larson, we were having lunch one time, and Newt said, Gus, 
what's the difference between the chapel and Akron Alliance? I said, Newt, I really don't know. I said, we are much smaller. We don't take in the funds that you take in. and We can't do all the things that you do. He said, Gus, the only thing difference between the chapel and Akron Alliance is that the chapel has more fleas than Akron Alliance. A big dog always has more fleas than a, more, than a small dog. <laughs> but we all have our problems, whether big or small. But that's also the choice that we have, big church or small church. A big church can do more entertaining, more plays, more this, more that. And boy, that's great. Not against that. Don't allow entertainment to stuff out the Word of God, though. Or make the Word of God second or third place. The Word of God has to be preeminent. And then others might say, I want a liturgical church. I want a church that just, you look at the bulletin, step one, step two, step three, step four, step five, and we're right on time. They're one of those churches that don't care about time, when we get out, is this, is that. It's all over the place. And that's what you usually find in the charismatic church. We say when the Holy Spirit takes over, you just let him have his way. Just get out the way. (laughs) But you have that charismatic church. Then you have the Reformed church. That has some real old doctrines and stands that can be very difficult to understand. The old Dutch reform. Then you have the seeker church. That is allowing people to really seek God in their own way. They're seeking God. But there's no boundaries here. There's no guidelines here. And it's whatever you discover in your emotional upheaval that somehow you describe it to God. The seeker's church. And then you have the holiness church that has a long history. There's all kinds of churches. So what kind of church are you really seeking? What kind of church do you really want? We are more church hoppers than truth seekers. We hop sometimes from church to church. And we're not really seeking truth. We're not seeking a time in which we are being taught. Now understand this. There's nothing wrong with you leaving Akron Alliance Fellowship if you leave because God says, I'm going to take you somewhere where I'm going to take you to another level. We're going to learn a little more. But most people leave church because there's something they don't like or something they don't agree with. Not because they're going to a higher plane in a sense. And there's times the Holy Spirit will pick you up and move you 
Because he's going to use you over here rather than where you are. The church is not your Lord. Jesus is. And we get that confused also. We are more church hoppers and shoppers than we are truth seekers. How many of you come to church one in a day? Lord, what are you going to teach me? Lord, what are you going to teach me? Lord, what are you going to challenge me with today? Lord, what are you going to show me of yourself today or show me of myself? It's a very competitive church or religious world or market that we live in. As much as we may not like to say it, churches are very much competitive. When the Bible says we're one body, we're all on the same team, all worshiping and glorifying the same God. And yet somehow it seems like we're in this big competition of who's better or who's this. The Pew Forum study said, successful churches have one thing in common. They are entertaining. You know, these guys do a great job. But understand this. They're not the centerpiece. They're not the centerpiece. They're not the meat of the program. They're part of it. But they should not overshadow the word of God. They're good, but I hope that's not what you come for. Music can be great, but not greater than the Word. The Christian culture says, yes. Now, see if you can understand this. The Christian culture says, yes, I believe in Jesus. I love Jesus. Yet it says no to the church that Jesus started. And many will say, no, I don't want to go to church. But yet you love the one. That's like me saying, I love Elaine, I love Elaine, but never go home. Never go home. And the reason I go home because that's where I'm going to meet her. Yeah, I go to work and I come home. I go to work and I come home. I take a vacation and I come home. That's where she's at. That's where I want to be. And yet we have people say, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But I hate the church. Not going to be involved with the church. And yet, Jesus dies for the church. If Ephesians 6 is right, is that we are to 
as he gives us an example, as he loved the church, so should we love our wives and die for them. Go to Matthew chapter 16. You all know this verse well, but there's a word I want to dig out of it a little bit. And I want you to take hold of it and see if we can ramble with it just a little bit about people and our day in which we live. In verse 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Who's going to do the building? God is. He says, I'm going to build it. Not man, but I am. And Jesus is building his church because his church are the called out ones. Not so much this structure is the church, but it's the people who are sitting in the structure that makes up the church, who are not the church in a sense, personally, but make up the church in their activities within the church. And he says, I'm going to build them. I'm going to build them. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build my people, the body, the church. I'm going to build them. And he says, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The gates of Hades will not overcome this collective group, this called out group, that the gates of Hades will not stop it. This collective group called the church who works for the glory and honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is taught of him, and while here on earth, carries out the will of God. Carries out the will of God. I'm going to build my church. Now, how many times do you hear people take possession of the church? And most arguments sometimes in the church is whose church is it? Who's going to run it? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And we fall out over these humanistic feelings that we have of who's right and who's wrong rather than understanding this sovereign God who says he is the head of the church will correct his church and even if he has to, remove people from his church. Because he's the sovereign God. He's the head of his church. Go to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18. He simply says, and he is the head. Now look how he describes this church. Even Look what he puts before the word church. He is the head of the body. The body. 
The body has many members. One body, but many members that make up that body. And then he says church. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Now look, listen, because this is what church should be all about. So that in everything he might have what? Supremacy. That he might be first. He might be first. That everything about church is honoring the Lord Jesus Christ. Is lifting him up. Is sharing his story, not our story, but his story. He says he is the head of the church. And he is the one who should be supreme in the church. Not a pastor, not elders, not deacons, not the one who gives the most money, not the most popular individual. One name, Jesus, takes preeminent in the church. Now, we can teach the sovereign rule of God, but why teach the sovereign rule of God only to throw it out? That when we get into a difficult situation, do you think God abandons us? God runs away from it? He's sovereign in his church. The thing is, we're not patient. We can't wait on him. If I'm so wrong, or as, as it's stated sometimes, I'm a dictatorial pastor, or, or the pastor is this, or the pastor is that. If you don't remove me, God will. The sovereignty of God, the one who rules his church. Hopefully, the people will recognize whenever a pastor steps out of the word of God. If you ever want to check out something, look what... Melvin was teaching this morning, but take what Melvin was teaching there in 13 John and apply it to Acts chapter 14, where the people want to make Paul and Silas superior because of what they saw them do, and they call and they said, The gods have come down. When you begin to treat a pastor or anybody in the church like their God, you're, you're, you're the one in trouble. And whenever a man stands in the pulpit and wants to try to act like God, you need to say bye-bye. And a lot of pastors don't understand something. If you call me, you can send me. If you call me, you can send me. If you appointed me, you can take me down. If you put me up, you can also bring me down. And the church has to understand that to really be the church. Now that is not to come to a place you don't recognize the roles and positions. The elders, they watch over your souls. What does that mean? 
They are there to help keep us on what? To straighten and narrow. To make sure we don't fall off the path. They're there watching and encouraging us. They're not there to be somebody who's a dictator in your life. They are there to challenge you. Are you walking with the Lord in the ways of the Lord? But it even got so bad, it's hard for elders and pastors to even do their job. Who are you? You shouldn't be judging me. And I just went through that with some people about judging. Yes, you do judge. Are you walking in the manner that God wants you to walk? I have to judge that. And if you're not, then speak to it. What is the church? The church is the teaching arm of God. The church is where God's people gather to be taught. The hardest thing for men is this, to allow another man to teach because we all put our pants on the same way. It's not about pants. It's about knowledge. Now, follow me for a moment. In John 14, 21, I believe it is, God says, those who will obey me and keep my commandments... He says, I'll manifest myself to them, or I'll show myself to them. Understanding, when you are reading and you are being taught, you are gathering knowledge of him. But you really don't know him. How many of you know Obama? Who was Obama? Who was Bush? When's the last time you sat down at the dinner table and talked with either one of them? You know of them. So when you're learning the Bible, in a sense, you're learning of God. That doesn't mean you know God. As you begin to apply God's word and you exercise faith, Then Jesus says, he who keeps my word and follows my commandments, I will reveal myself to them. Now I get to know him. Why? He's revealing himself to me. And only God himself can be the revealer of himself. Other than that, I'm always gathering knowledge of him, history of him. But to really know him, he has to reveal himself to me. And the way that he reveals himself to you is this. The scripture says he is not a liar. When God promises you something in his word and you're trusting him and you're living on that word... You're surviving on that word. God becomes responsible to fulfill that word because nobody else can. And when you see God's hand move in your life because you're keeping his word, 
you're learning something personally about God. And you're seeing it with your own eyes. It's affecting your own life. It's changing your own heart. It's changing your mind. It's touching you. It's touching you. More so than sitting in a Bible study, sitting in church. In church you come to learn the rules. You come to learn the behavior. You come to learn how to live the way God would have you to live. But until you exercise it and do it, you really don't know. Nor do you experience the power of this God in your life until you become obedient to his word. And when you do that, he says, I'll manifest myself to you. I'll show myself to you. I'll reveal myself to you. Why? You're trusting him. And he's the only one who can do it. That's why a lot of people come into church and they leave out empty-handed. Because God himself has not revealed himself through his word. He has not touched up here. And God wants to touch up here. And then God wants to bring it down here. Why? The issues of life flow from where? From the heart. The issues of life flow from the heart. And he wants to get involved in the issues of life. He wants to get involved in your business. He wants to get involved in what you're doing. He wants to do that. And in his doing, you see him. You get to know his character. You get to know his love. You get to know his concern for you. You get to see how you are to behave because he's right there with you, encouraging you to do this or do that. He's helping you to put these things off. He's helping you to run away from that which is evil. He's helping you when you can't do anything else, stand. How many of you really believe you and God is a majority? That you just stand. Who provides for the church? Go to 1 Corinthians 15, 58. See if we can run through these real quick. 15, 58. 1 Corinthians And the key word here in the two verses we're going to read is therefore. And like they say, when you see the word therefore, you want to always go back up and read a couple of verses that you've already read because it's referring back to those verses. And because of these verses, this is what's going to happen in a sense. He says in 56, The sting of death is sin. So he lets us know what causes us to die. Sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. Sin is always that thing that's going to cause death or separation between me and God. Between you and God. 
sin. And the power of sin is the law. The law informs us of what is right and what is wrong. But it does not have the power to give us to overcome the wrongness or to do what it is said or what it's saying. And he goes on, he says, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Jesus Christ came and performed the law. And he empowers me now to be able to live the law or to live in righteousness. He empowers me to do that. Now, some will say, oh, you... You can't do that. You can't keep the law. The only reason I can't keep the law is because of my sinful nature that I'm going to do what? Do something to break the law. I'm going to lie. I'm going to steal. I'm going to cheat. I'm going to take the wrong look. I'm going to do something. Now, catch this. The moment I repent of that, and is willing to overcome that, he gives me the victory over that which caused me to fall. But I have to agree with him. This was sin. The only way a Christian can do right is not because of the word, but because of the power that is in the word through Jesus Christ implemented by the Holy Spirit into your life to do what is right. We have to understand that. If you quench the spirit, you're not going to do what is right. If you ignore the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you're not going to do what is right. And the law has already told you this is wrong. And I break the law. Lord, forgive me. Now he gives me the power to overcome that law that causes me to stumble or to fall. The law makes me aware of the sin and the wrong. And look at that verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Who causes you to stand firm? And I want to go right back up to that verse. He gives. He gives me the ability to stand firm. Therefore, he gives me. The ability to stand firm. Go a little further. Let nothing move you. Who gives me the ability to stand there and not be moved and not be swayed? He does. He does. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Elaine can be a very strong... See, she's not here now, so I can talk about it. Y'all see her as a nice little woman. 
And she is. But she can be very strong when she wants something. She can go at it. And she can push you and push you and push you. And and that's good because that's part of her makeup. That's part of her personality. And I never want to change that. But sometimes that irritates me. And, and, and the whole process is this. Now i got to judge, is it going to hurt anything if I do it? No, it's not going to hurt anything. Let's go ahead and do it. Do we have the means to do it? Yes, we have the means to do it. So let's go ahead and do it. You know? But then there's times I just have to say no. And when I say no and I'm trying to stand, that strong wind comes and try to blow me off. But I got to still say what? No. That's when God gives us the strength to stand. And we have to make that decision to stand. To stand for him. To stand for his glory. To stand in the position that he has made me head of. Of a family and a covering for a wife. And that is not to deny why that doesn't put a wife down. But every man, every husband need to understand. He's going to give an answer to how he gave oversight to his family and to his wife. Every wife is going to give an answer how she responded to that oversight. Now, he says, he helps us to stand and not be moved. And look at the third thing that he said. Let nothing move you. Now look, always give yourself fully to the work of who? The Lord. That you're always doing that. Who enables that? He gives. In the verse above. Therefore, says, look back up. He gives me the ability to always be abounding in his work. Not when I just want to. Not just when it's, boy, pleasing. His work. His work. That I'm abounding in. For time's sake, let's move real quickly over to Ephesians Chapter six, thirteen, Ephesians chapter six, thirteen. We're just going to run through these pretty quick. And what I want you to catch real quick: Who's giving you the ability to do this? In six, thirteen, he simply says, Ephesians. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to what stand. Your ground. The day of evil is here. And how many of us are standing? A lot of Christians are falling for the entrapments of Satan. I was reading something on the plane. And the gentleman was illustrating in his book... He said, every church should be a crack house. 
every church should be a crack house. Because when somebody gets hooked on crack, if they know that house is, is there, they're going to get to that house. No matter what, they're going to get to that house. No matter what they have to steal out here, obey God here, they're going to get to that house to get what they need. And every church should be a crack house that the people get hooked on Jesus and no matter what's happening out here, they're going to get their way to church. See, we haven't got you hooked on Jesus yet. And crack takes control of a person's mind. Every church should be like a crack house. Get his people hooked on Jesus. That no matter what's going on, they're going to find their way to that crack house, the church. And he says, boy, in that 613, he simply says again, get these eyes on it. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the when the days of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. You can't stand without what? The armor of God. You can't stand without the helmet of salvation. You can't stand without the shield of faith. You can't stand without the sword, the word of God. You can't stand without your feet being shod with the gospel of peace. You can't stand without the breastplate of righteousness. Now, who provides all that? God does. God does. But he says, stand. Let's close out with this last verse. Ephesians 4, 11. And I want you to pick out something in that verse, in Ephesians 4, 11, that is common. It's different offices, but there's something very common about every one of these offices. And what is it? He says in 4.11, it was he, who is the he? Jesus. Who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. What is common there? What is common that is not mentioned? Does the apostle give the word of God? Is the apostle a sent messenger with the word of God? Is it the prophet not speaking the word of God? And what God is, has directed him to speak to his people? Isn't the evangelist speaking the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Isn't the pastor teacher teaching the word of God? What is common here is that they all are teaching the word of God. No matter what their title. Apostle. Prophet. Evangelist, pastor, teacher, they're all doing this one thing, teaching the word of God. 
For what purpose? And here again comes the purpose of God's church. These are the tools or the mechanisms in which God uses to build his church, his people, the body. He says, to prepare God's people for the work of service. Now, understand this because this is something that is very critical for us. People think they can just come in the church and start serving. They can just come in the church and start doing. And that's true. You can do that. The problem is, is this. What's missing is a servant's heart. And to understand, you're not doing it for this building. You're not doing it in in a sense, for this church. You're not doing it for the pastor. You're not doing it for the elders. You're not doing it for this or that reason. You're doing it for one reason only. I am a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've lost that. And somehow we think it's some high prize we won if we can sit up on this stage. That's not the prize. The prize is not being called bishop, apostle, elder, pastor, reverend, doctor. That's not the prize. The real prize is the title of servant of God. The servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the prize. And that's what we all are. Servants. Of the one who has saved us. Servants of the one who has bled for us. Servants of the one who's going to come back and receive us unto himself. Servants of the one in whom we're going to spend eternity with. We need to get that picture clear. Who we serve. We serve him. And in serving him, We serve one another. We serve one another. But don't forget who gave the apostles. Who gave the prophets. Who gave the evangelists. Who gave the pastor teacher. God provides that. Jesus provides that for the building up of his people. Where does his people get built up at? In the church. In the church. In the church. Would you look at history with me and we'll close and go to communion here. There was a day that we had all kind of paired groups off of the church. Navigators were one. And a lot of people were going to the navigators and they were good. Elaine and I went to Navigators. We, we learned how to, remem- to memorize scripture. And we were doing different things with the Navigators. Then come also Campus Crusade. Hitting the college campus and they were big. Bill Bright and we went to some Bill Bright's meetings and we did this and that. And then we'd be over in this group for a little bit and then over into this group a little bit. And you know something? 
if you really look at it today, God is removing all these little pair groups that the focus comes back to one thing, church. If the church does its job, the pair churches or the pair groups would never be in place. They were just doing what the church was lacking and not doing. They were taking the gospel in the places where the church was not going, into the universities. Navigators was taking the word of God into business world. And the period church is doing something that the church itself should be doing. Father, we're just starting to dive into this. As we explore your church, would you lead us? But would you also remove some of the misnomers that we have about church? Would you help us to see clearly what the real purpose of church is? Would you help us, O oh God, not to throw rocks at the church, but to be willing to come into the church and help build and allow you to build us that we can truly go out and serve a dying world? Would you, O oh God, minister to us? Whatever our understanding of the church might be, would you, O oh God, examine that? And where correction needs to be made, would you make correction? Would you somehow allow your word, allow your Holy Spirit to speak to each and every one of us? The church is not perfect because of the called out ones that make up the church. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're not, oh God. Be merciful to us. And help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. And thank you, O God, for laying on our hearts that which is precious to you, your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Elders, those who have served, would you come?